0: Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for for bringing us here together by your grace under the umbrella of the gospel. We are all brothers and sisters united. We stand together. We protect the gospel. We proclaim the gospel. We share the gospel. And Lord, I pray that this evening we will once again learn the gospel as it is read into our verses Holy Spirit, use me, have your people not hear me or see me, but hear and see you or sanctify their ears, their eyes, their minds, their hearts. Speak to us this evening, Father, as you do always through your word. In Christ's name, I pray. Amen. If you have a Bible, you can turn to James. James chapter four. Believe it or not, we are almost done. We were always told as a child, or when young, don't touch the iron when it's plugged in, or your hand might get burned. Remember that? Or don't touch the candle fire when it's lit, or your fingers might get burned. Actually, side note, I have to say this I had an opportunity to see a guy actually get lit on fire, his whole body. Yeah, it was c crazy thing I've ever seen in my life. <clears throat> but don't touch the candle fire when it's lit, or your fingers might get burned. Don't put your fingers in the fan. Your fingers might get cut off. Don't stare at people. It's rude, and they might want to fight you. Those are some of the warnings our parents, our guardians gave us when we were younger, is it not? Some of you remember those warnings. And as we grew in age, we received more warnings, did we not? With consequences or with the consequences being more severe. Such warnings as don't steal or kill because you will go to jail. Uh, Don't run red lights. Don't drive drunk and don't text while driving. You might get into an accident. Don't be late to work and don't be lazy on the job because you might lose your job. In life, we are constantly being warned all the time from childhood to adulthood. We've all received some kind of warning of some kind. Don't do this or don't do that because this will happen. Or don't do that because there are some consequences that will face you. But those warnings that I just gave examples of are all physical warnings. They're all uh, temporal, in a sense, warnings that protect us from getting hurt and hurting others. Those warnings that protect us from getting into car accidents, uh, getting burned, losing our job, and going to jail. Those warnings are worldly warnings. Those warnings are to keep us safe in the world, to keep us good functioning members of the world. But what about those warnings against the world itself? What about those warnings that keep us safe from the world? What about those warnings that keep us from worldliness? If like I think of one warning that I received as a child that sticks out in my mind, it was when my mother told me, son, guard yourself against the world. Guard yourself against the world. Don't talk like the world. Don't look like the world. Don't even smell like the world. I heard sermons growing up where the preacher explained how bad this world system is and how I must protect myself from ever becoming a lover of that corrupt system. But as I grew older, the more and more like the world I began to become. I didn't take heed to my mother's warnings against worldliness. And that's our subject for this evening. Warning against worldliness. Warning against worldliness. And hopefully we as a congregation will not be like those or me who didn't listen to my mother's warnings, but we will take heed to James as he warns us against the dangers of worldliness. Again, let me remind you that James is writing to newly converted Christians who have had a background in legalism and Judaism, who've been having some issues in the churches that they're a part of. Issues like hypocrisy, like loose speech, like favoritism. Issues like hearing the word and not doing it. Blaming God for their trials and temptations. Last week, we saw James is just a type of wisdom whom they are listening to. We learned that there are two kinds of wisdom. One worldly, which is selfish and prideful, jealous and boastful. And the other, which is heavenly, which is self-giving and pure and, and humble and peaceful. Now, James, we'll get to the heart of the problem. And that is, these churches are allowing the world to influence them because because of these Christians are now starting to develop a character that is just like the world's. This influence has gotten really strong among these Christians. So now they're starting to look, smell, and act like the world. James addresses three problems that these Christians are having. Number one, the worldly passions. Number two, they're worldly friendship. And number three, they're worldly judgments. And those are my points this evening. Worldly passions, worldly friendship, and worldly judgments. Worldly passions, worldly friendships, and worldly judgments. If you have that written down, if you're ready, you can stand, please. Turn to James chapter 1. Verses 1 through 12 will be our text for this evening. So James chapter, I'm sorry, chapter 4. James chapter 4. Verses 1 through 12. James 4, 1 through 12. The word of the Lord says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet And cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend on your passions. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealousy over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Verse, 12, verse 11. Do not speak evil against anyone, against another, one another, brothers, the one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But you judge the law. You are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver and judge, and he was able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? My God, out a blessing to the reading of his word, you may be seated. <clears throat> So let's look at the first point. Worldly passions. Worldly passions. Verse 1 of James 4, James says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? So here we see what the issues are that these Christians are having in this church. And they're actually more intense than we thought. I mean, we know that these Christians are having problems with showing their faith and trusting in God through trials. We, you know, the same problems that that me and you face as Christians. But James here is saying in verse one that the problems that they're having is not only spiritual, but also between themselves. It's not only a spiritual problem that we all go through, but it's a relational problem that we find ourselves in every day as well. Look again, he says in verse 1, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? What's the cause of these things? It's like he's saying, guys, what's the root of all this fighting? What's the common denominator of all these quarrels among you? Now, I want you to put yourself in The person who would read this at the time's position, if any of us were proposed the question or this question, what's causing fights and what causes quarrels among us, what's the first thing you would say? Yeah, exactly. You would look at Matt. We would look at one another. I didn't mean to do that, but you're a good example. We would look at one another. Wouldn't we not? Well, James, honestly, it's Bobby. Bobby's the root of all these problems. He thinks he knows everything. Um, Or James, you know, the problem of all this fighting is pastor. Thank God he's not here right now, but it is pastor. He is the cause. He, He doesn't take into consideration my feelings and he's always beating me up with the word. He is the problem. Now, that's how we would all usually respond to a question like that, is it not? We are all too quick to play the blame game. It's them. No, it's her. No, it's him. No, it's all of them, not me. And the funny thing is, James knows the type of response he will receive. He knows that. He knows people are going to blame each other. So that's why he asks, after he asks the question, or he says after he asks the question, look here, he says, is it not this? Your passions are at war within you. So James is saying the cause of all these quarrels and fights is not them. It's not her. And it's not him. Rather, it is you. You are the cause. Instead of looking at everyone else to blame, you should really put the blame onto yourself. You are to blame because simply, as James says, your passions are at war within you. Your passions are the reason for the disharmony in the church. Your passions are the reason why many of you need to be quiet and not be so eager to speak. Your passions are why many of you are not showing favoritism, are showing favoritism. Friends, we all have passions. All of us. And and passions are not a bad thing. But it is when, but it's when those passions are starting to become more about your personal gain than the glory of God and the benefit of others, then passions become a very dangerous thing. When it starts becoming more about you instead of others and the glory of God, then that's when passion is very dangerous. And James says these passions that you have are at war within you. Right now, they're fighting within you. He used a military term to describe the conflict that wages war within us all. James says there's a war going on. There is a war going on. And friends, when your personal desires for fulfillment and satisfaction take precedent over your loyalty to God and love for the brethren, it is war. It is war. And it's vital for you to understand that James is not talking about some sort of base, cardinal, sexual desire here. That's not what he's talking about. Which it is. It might be. But he's not looking at the war between your flesh wanting to get drunk and your spirit restraining you. That's not the war. No, he's talking about the desire for personal fulfillment in every... In any form, James is talking about the way we devote our time and our energy and our money and our interests and enthusiasm in feeding our own passions and desires for self satisfaction. Yes, that self satisfaction might be drugs, it might be sex, but it also can be your self satisfaction for power and position of power, your self satisfaction for money and greed. And friends, James sees that as the root of disharmony in the Christian life and Christian fellowship. When you start doing things for yourself, then everybody sees it and everybody's aware. Then that's when the church starts to lose a little bit of harmony. Brothers and sisters, we live in a world that is bombarding us with the opposite of the message that is here in James. The world that we live in is saying the root of the good life, the root of happiness is in seeking yourself, understanding yourself, affirming yourself, pampering yourself. The world says to us, if you want to live a good life, you've got to look out for yourself. But friends, what happens when you don't get those passions that you so desperately want? And, and what happens when your quest for self-satisfaction doesn't go the way you planned? Well, James gives us our answer in verse 2 and 3. Look, if you will. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and can obtain, so you fight and quarrel. The result of these Christians not getting what they desire is they are murdering each other. And they are fighting and quarreling amongst one another. That is what happens when you don't get what you want. You take it out on others. Now, I don't think James is speaking of physical murder. Like everyone's taking knives and killing each other. I don't think that. But rather the murdering of someone's name. We know that as slander. Gossip. My father, may he may may he rest peacefully in Christ, is a victim of such slander. My family is a victim of such slander. Some have left this church. And when they've left, they tried to murder this church with slander because they didn't get what they want. You know, friends, sometimes bringing shame to someone's name is far worse than actually killing the person because they have to live with that. They have to constantly fight the evil baggage that is thrown upon their name. And in most cases, it takes years for that person's name to ever be considered honorable again. Friends, I pray here at Reformation Bible Church, That we will never be known for such name-killing and and such slander like these Christians whom James is writing to. That our passions will not be for self, but it will be for glorifying God and glorifying others. That we wouldn't be envious of others in this church, but we would delight in others' achievements. Brother, you got a job today? Oh, man, but just a Taco Bell, though. No, praise God for that. Praise God for that. When we speak about one another, let us want to know about each other's lives and what's happening about what's happening in that person's lives rather than listening to ourselves talk about what's happening in ours. Let us bombard each other with questions. Hey, brother, what'd you do last week? What'd you do today? Let's get to know one another. I'm sure James was wishing and praying the same for these people. These Christians couldn't get what they want. They couldn't get what they desired. So they took it out on themselves by bringing each other's names down. What a shame, is it not? And ultimately, what they desired was satisfaction. They desired pleasure. They desired uh, enjoyment and fulfillment. Something that we all desire. We all long for satisfaction, do we not? All of us. So James gives them the reason why they don't have the satisfaction that they so long for. The ending of verse 2 says, you do not have because you do not ask. Verse 3 and 4, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly. You spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. Psalms 37, four, one of the most famous verses in the whole Bible. Probably the most famous verse that's taken out of context as well. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Has anyone ever heard that growing up? Yeah. There's nothing wrong with praying with the desires of your heart. But what we tend to do, or there's nothing wrong with praying for the desires of your heart, but what we tend to do is we, start, we tend to pray with the desires of our heart. Our, our passions and desires become the standard. Instead of God's glory and and what his word says being the standard. We we put our passions and desires at the same level, and some put them even higher, than what God desires. For example, the fact that you want something becomes a standard. And God needs to give it to us. A lot of us pray like little two-year-olds. God, I I need a bigger home because I want it. Or God, I, I need more income because I want it. You see, God as a means to your ends instead of the end itself. You look to God as the one to give you your desires, however warped they may be, instead of the one who is and should be desire of your heart. Instead of these temporal earthly passions and these pleasures and satisfactions, God should be the supreme and all of those things. Friends, God doesn't answer selfish motive prayers. I can, I can attest to that. He does not. And that shouldn't be our motivation when we pray. It should always be for God's glory. Amen. You know, one practical way I think would help us in this point is for you to come into prayer on Tuesday evening. That's one good way to help you. It's a great way to, for you to see how one can pray for a variety of things while still incorporating and ending in God receiving glory in all that we ask. Ask those who have come. Friends, please take in consideration the warning that James gives us here about worldly passions. Worldly passions are selfish. They cause fights. They cause quarrels. And they cause you to become envious of others, possibly causing you to slander their name. This is very much like the worldly wisdom that James warns us against last week, is it not? friends, Find your ultimate passion in God. Find your ultimate passion in God for the display of his name, for the spreading of his glory, for the enjoyment of him. I end this point with a quote from the great 17th century theologian, Jonathan Edwards. He said, God's purpose for my life was that I have a passion for God's glory and that I have a passion for my joy in that glory. And these two are one passion. Let's move on to the second point, which is worldly friendships. Worldly friendships. After James has diagnosed these Christians with having worldly passions, he now moves on to their friendships. And not the friendships that are arising amongst each other. You know, like Sandy is, best friend, is now best friends with Nicole, or Nicole is now best friends with Lucy. No, I'm not talking about that. He's talking about the friendships that are arising in the world. That they are having with the world. Verse 4. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wanted to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Friends, we are living in a world where two kingdoms are constantly at war with each other. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan or the world. And this war has been happening ever since the beginning of time. Genesis 3.15 speaks of a war that will be between two parties. The seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. The Bible describes the world as evil, as dark, as sinful. The world and all those who love the world are the seed of the serpent. We as Christians are the ones who are no longer teeth of the serpent, thank God. We as Christians are ones who have been called out of the world. Yet we still live in the world in order that we may be lights unto the world. But Christians understand that we are not to befriend the world. We are not to befriend the world. We as Christians are not to hang out with the world. And not indulge in worldly activities that are against God's law. Paul tells us in Colossians 2:8, "See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to the human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ." We as Christians are not allowed, are not to allow this world to seduce us with its philosophy, with its teachings, and with its temporal pleasures. Understand, Christian, that we are at war, and the side that you befriend reveals whom you serve. The side that you befriend reveals the one whom you serve. And if you say you're a Christian and you say that you are a friend of the world, then James has a label for you. There's a certain name for you. The beginning of verse 4, look if you will, you adulterous people. Exclamation point. In order to get his point across, James uses the language of adultery. We in society look down upon adultery, do we not? We look down upon men and, or, or women who sleep around while being married or being in a relationship. We question if they ever were in love to begin with. We look at them with disgust. We label them a cheater, a fake, and a hypocrite. That's exactly you, Christian. When you claim to love God, but choose to serve the world. God has made us to serve him. God saves us in order for us to praise no other name but his because he is rightly to be praised. He's the only one that deserves to be praised. That is why the Bible says God is a jealous God. But God is also righteous and holy. And he will not wink at our adultery no more than a husband will wink at his wife's adultery. Friends, let me make this very simple for all of us to understand you can't claim to be in a relationship with God and then sleep with the devil or sleep with the world. You, you can't give praises to God and then, with the same lips, give praises to the world. It doesn't happen that way. James calls that adultery. And note, when James says in verse 4, you adulterous people, that, that had to hurt these Christians, whom, let me remind you, have a Jewish background. It had to hurt them a little bit because James knows that they know their history. And by calling them adulterers and adulteresses, it it stung a little bit more because it reminded them of that history. They reminded of their ancestors and forefathers Israel who were adulterous and unfaithful to God. Like we see in the Old Testament, just like they are being now to God. Friends, Does the label of adulterer and adulteress fit you this evening? Are you living a double life? Are you? Members who are here and future members who are present, please know that we here at Reformation Bible Church do not condone the lifting up your hands and happiness at a party on Saturday and the lifting up your hands during during worship at a church service on Sunday. It doesn't happen that way. We do not condone drunkenness on a weekday and then holiness on the Lord's day. That's not how it works. Friends, check your heart. Check your heart. Fall in love with Jesus Christ. And when you do, you will never fall out of love with Christ. Because He, and only He, is the ultimate meaning of love Himself. He's the ultimate meaning of what it means to be in a love relationship. Friends, evaluate if you really love the Lord this this evening. Because true love doesn't cheat. And true love doesn't commit adultery. Especially against God. Look at what James says next in verse 4. Do you not know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Such strong words James uses here to describe the consequences of being a friend of the world. Very strong language. Please listen here. He says, friends with the world are enemies of God. Friends with the world are enemies of God. John puts it this way in 1 John 2. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So if you love the world, then you don't love God. Pastor told us last Sunday that the world paints a beautiful picture of how great it is. Is it? Does it not? Something like the fair. We heard last week of a man named Demas who was so in love with the world that he turned from the faith. So question, brothers and sisters. Which side are you on? Which side are you on? Because you're here this evening doesn't mean that you're on God's side. You could be fooling us as well as fooling yourself. We read that there is a war going on. Friends, whose army are you marching in? And beloved, please know that we cannot play both sides in this war, we cannot wear two separate helmets. As as Jesus said in Matthew six twenty four, you can't serve two masters. Friends, here are some questions: Is friendship with the world worth being at war with God? Is friendship with the world worth being at war with God? Is temporal is the temporal pleasures of this world? Worth the infinite joy that is in Christ? Is the temporal pleasures of this world worth the infinite joy that is in Christ? Is a life lived for the glittering glamour of this world worth an eternity in the pits of darkness known as hell? Is a life lived for the glittering glamour of this world worth an eternity in the pits of darkness known as hell? Friends, think about those questions. Think about those questions and consider carefully where your loyalties lie. Consider carefully whom you have made friends with. Remind yourself of those questions. Next time the world befriends you with its temptations and its pleasures, the next time you are tempted to get drunk, the next time you are tempted to take a drug, or cheat, or steal, or gossip, or slander, Brothers and sisters, I pray that we as a church are never known by our association with this evil world like these this church whom James is writing to. Uh, members who are here and non-members, pray that God will continue to keep us who are in leadership accountable to one another because we can fall too. Pray that God will continue to shower us as elders and deacons with grace and mercy so we're able to ward off the temptations that lure us, or that try to lure us every day. I pray for you also, congregation. I pray that you will take into consideration this warning that James has given us. That friendship with the world is war with the sovereign God of the universe. I pray that even right now, as you're sitting, as you listen to me speak, in your mind, you are really questioning if you are a friend of God. I really pray for that. One might ask, well, how do I know that I'm a friend of God? James said, J- Jesus says in John 15, that people who obey his commands are truly his friends. People who obey God are truly his friends. Let this be a warning for us, but all brothers and sisters, like it was for these Christians whom James was writing to. Now, let's look at the last point, which is worldly judgment. worldly judgments, worldly judgments. James so far has addressed these Christians' worldly passions, worldly friendships. Now James will address their worldly judgments. Look at verse 11 and 12, if you will. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them against the law or judges them, speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There was one lawgiver and judge, the one who was able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? So again, James is addressing these, these Christians' loose speech. It's quite clear that these Christians are gossiping about one another and, and slaying each other's names. They are murdering each other with their words. They are disobeying the world of God, which says to love your God with your heart and your mind and also love your neighbor as yourself. And on top of that, they are judging each other based off such slander. They are slandering one another, and then they're going one step further and actually becoming God by sending people to judgment. That's the very thing Jesus condemned in Matthew 7. When Jesus says in verse 1, Judge not, that you be not judged. Remember that? Now please note that, that when Jesus is saying... Do not judge people. He's not saying don't ever judge people. I think he's saying don't judge people based off an, a wrong judgment. Based off you telling that person that, oh, well, because you're doing this, you're going to go to hell. But I think more so, Jesus is saying the right judgment is based off an evaluation An evaluation. For example, if I know someone is getting drunk a lot, then it's only right to label him an addict and label him a drunk. I'm not passing judgment in a negative sense. I'm just judging him based on what everyone else can see. So Jesus is not saying don't judge in an evaluation sense, but what he's saying is don't judge in a condemnation sense. In a condemnation sense. So let's take that person who's getting drunk. And I say he's an addict. I say he's a drunk and he's going to hell. There ain't no way he's going to heaven. That's wrongful judgment. That's the judgment we should stay away from. In Matthew 7, Jesus is talking to Pharisees who thought that it was their duty to assign people to divine judgment. And you can't do that. You can't say who is to be eternally damned. And that's what James is saying here in these verses, especially here in verse 12. There is only one lawgiver and judge. But I love what he says in the next line. Look, if you will, the one who was able to save and destroy. In spite of that drunk person's unwillingness to give up the bottle, God is still able to save that person from eternal damnation. And on the flip side, for whatever reasons that are only found in the mind of God, he can destroy that person. Romans nine fifteen for he says Moses I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion friends what James is getting at is the only that God is the only one who can rightfully judge others again to members who are here I pray for us as a church that we will never think that it's our duty to say if someone is going to hell or not that it is not our place. Because if God can save the chief of sinners, as Paul called himself, then God can save anyone. Case example, he saved you. And for those who are here this evening who are the law police, who like to beat people up with the law. Husbands, many <laughs> of never mind, who like to beat people up with the law of God. Jesus James says in verse 11, when you judge the law. You are not keeping it, but you are sitting in judgment on it. So you think your judgment on others is righteous because the backdrop, because it's in the backdrop of God's law. But what James says, actually, you're sitting on judgment yourself. You're actually not doing anything. You're hurting yourself more than you're hurting the other person. Now, didn't I just say earlier that judgment on others can be a good thing? But here, James is saying, well, actually, God is the only one I can judge. Didn't I mention that the evaluation type of judgment is a good thing? Well, that is true indeed. But before you go off and before we dismiss, and all of you guys start looking at each other sideways and evaluating one another. There are two things that you have to check off first. There are two questions that you have to ask yourself, Okay. Number one, do I have everything together? Meaning, before I can judge someone else, do I obey God myself? Jesus put it this way in Matthew 7, verse 3 through 5. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Jesus is simply stating what is so commonly true. People love to judge others without first judging themselves. All the time. James said at the ending of verse 12, but you, who are you to judge your neighbor? So before you even attempt To address someone else's problems, Jesus and James, who are half-brothers, say, address yours first. Before you attempt to bring out others' dirty laundry, clean yours first. Evaluate yourself first. Before you run around thinking that you can evaluate others. Because it will come back to you. Trust me. Evaluate yourself That's the first mark that we must consider of judging others and evaluating others. The second mark is, ask yourself, is my judgment coming from a pure heart? Is my judgment coming from a pure heart? Are the first words that are coming in your mouth like this? Brother, you know, you know I really care for you. And you know I really love you. And I don't want to see you fall and... I believe that me telling you this is for your own good, but also for the good of others who love you. And if I am wrong in anything that I'm about to say, please forgive me. So, and then you proceed to tell that person what's in your heart. By you saying those things, you're being sincere, you're showing that you're sincere, you're showing that you're genuine. That's how you first begin. And then you should always end in a prayer for restoration in that person's life. Maybe you two even becoming accountability partners. Because we are not trying to break each other down. We are trying to build one another up. Members who are here, I pray that we will ask such questions to ourselves before we try to judge someone else. I pray that we will not be a gossiping church or a church who slanders one another, but rather we look to help one another and build one another up with encouragement and love. Friends, hear me here. Let us at Reformation Bible Church develop a really bad habit of healthy, godly, positive gossip where all we do is we talk about each other and how great we are or how great that one another is behind each other's backs. It sounds funny because it's so odd, but this is what we as Christians are called to do. And then when that particular person's in front of our face, we continue to lift them up and point out what they're doing right and then helping them in what they're doing wrong. When we see something in someone's life that is causing them to stumble, let us address the issue with gentleness and humility don't come up to somebody and say, hey, uh, Mark, let me tell you something. That hat, you gotta, you got to take that off. We ain't having that here at Reference Bible Church. Instead of, brother, I think it would be uh, beneficial for everyone if they saw that your hat is off. You know, It will show that uh, your reverence to God um, is, is much more um, something that someone can look to and model after. I didn't mean to say that, though, Mark, you just were in the hat, so. Let us be so opposite of these churches whom James is writing to. So in closing, friend, if you're here this evening and, and you say, Isaiah, everything that you've said tonight is me. Everything. I need to stop giving in to worldly passions. I need to stop being friends with this evil world. I need to stop condemning and judging others harshly with no concern of building them up. And friends, I'll be the first to raise my hand. Because we're all guilty with this. All of us. All of us. None of us have this together. All together. Well, if that is you, friend, I have amazing news for you. Amazing news for you. James says in verse 5 through 10. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he is jealously, that he jealously longs for the spirit that he has caused to dwell within us? But he gives more Grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. You double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Friends, this is the gospel. The great news is God will forgive anyone who humbles themselves before Him. Let's say that you, you have worldly passions, you have worldly temptations, and, and they're always, always, always winning. And let's say you're a friend of the world right now. And let's say that you do judge people and you do say that, man, that person's going to hell because of what they're doing. Friends, the great news is God is gracious and God is merciful to all those who will humble themselves before God and repent. The great news is what James says here. God gives more grace. And oh, how we need that grace every single day. Brothers and sisters of Reformation Bible Church, humble yourself because humility shows God's favor. Friends, come near to God in order that God will come near to you. Friends, wash your hands and purify your heart with mourning and grieving. Change your joy to gloom over your sin and rebellion against God. And lastly, friends, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this evening. Thank you, Lord, for this time. Be with your people as they leave. And Lord, let them be reminded tonight... Tomorrow, the rest of the week, the rest of the month, the rest of the years of what we learn tonight. Help us, Holy Spirit, in all of our flaws. Allow us here to build one another up with gentleness, with meekness, with love. Let us be humble before you and before others. I pray for all of us here who are going through stuff. Who are allowing this world to infiltrate our lives for allowing this evil system to always win. Lord, help them. Help me. Let them be reminded that there is one who has come and he has taken over or overthrown the world. And on the cross, the devil was casted out of this world. Help us, Lord, and be with us. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.